Hey everybody, we're the Menschwarmers, uh, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? Shalom Aleichem, everyone. I am very good. Um, my wife has not yet given birth, although she might by the time this airs. I, I don't know. It's true. It's a podcast. People could be listening to this five years from now. Uh, hope the future is great. And Gabe's baby is now a five-year-old. Inshallah. Um, when our popularity is so great that we decide to release our uh, archives. Our archives, right. Um, did, you, did you have a nice Zoom Seder? I assume I assume you did one of those. It was a good Zoom Seder. We only did one, just I think for the general, you know, it's hard to get up the Koyach for two long Zoom Seders. Everybody sits on Zoom all day. We see enough of our family. We just did one, one quick Zoom Seder. Boy, what what fools we all were uh, last year when we said, you know, next year in person. Yes, I, I made that joke that again this year. It would be another one. Though, got a question about your Zoom Seder, and I, I'll ask this, you know, to, to anyone listening. Do you guys, like, break for dinner and then go back later for the no, end? No, we, we did, like, all the portions of the Seder, and we did a food exchange outside. We sort of, you know, everyone brought an element of the meal, and we took it home, and then... Uh, we did the Seder and then with a few eating things in, in it, like the bitter greens or the, the egg. And then uh, we broke and it was like, all right, everyone go enjoy your meal. And then that was yeah, it. That was, we didn't come back after the same. that. We didn't come back. Babies had to be put to bed and, you know, anyways. But it was nice. It was nice to eat food for my family. Uh, all the great cooks in my family who normally I would eat their cooking lots of times. And now it's just like once a year. When so. you were a kid, did you have any religious friends where your family went to their like five hour Seder? No. In fact, I've only ever been to my seders that my own family held or or less religious or less strictly religious. So I've never been to one of those intense, like, don't start until 8.15, um, you know, five hour long, like we're we're telling, you know, read by reading every portion of the Bible kind of thing. Seders. Maybe it'd be interesting to go to one sometime. I went, I went, I remember once as a kid, and I still remember this. It was my parents' friend, very religious guy, took a sip of the first cup of the wine and said, ah, that's good squishy. <laughs> When we were at McGill, my uh, sister-in-law's family's from Montreal, and they would they would always have me over as a guest to their seder, which was very nice. But it, it, it was pretty informal. It wasn't religious. It was a lot of people. But um, my sister-in-law's mom is Sephardic, and they ate Keaton Yut before it was cool, like Ooh. just old school Sephardic. We don't do this. And like as a vegetarian, like the amount of rice and bean dishes and lentils and things like that at the seder was so high. It was great. It was, it was, the, those were my favorite, uh, food seders. Not like in 2021 where everyone's like, all right, we're going to make a mujidara and eat it. Yeah, and exactly. it'll be fine. Now you're, do you eat kitten yoke now? You, you must, right? I, I we're trying not to. Are you having um, coffee? Yeah, I'm having coffee. Coffee would okay. be like the only one, but right. Having coffee. Um, I'm, we like, you know, corn and rice pasta is a thing that some people eat that like without gluten, you know, we don't eat that. We, but, you know, my wife has celiac disease, so we don't eat a lot of, of kitten right. and anyway. Or sorry, we eat a lot of kitten and don't eat a lot of chametz anyway. Right. Um, so it was only a small fire in our house, not the whole bonfire to burn everything. We, we had a controlled blaze. What's your favorite uh, Passover food? Um, I really like matzah with cheese melted on it, just like a classic matzah pizza. Uh, I do eat peanut butter on matzah. That is kitten and yot, kitten yot, and I do eat that sometimes. What about you? Um, I, I think I'm a big uh, charoset fan. Both my aunt makes a uh, like classic Ashkenazi apples and wine and nuts charoset, and my wife's mom makes like a dried fruit, lemon peel, and walnut charoset. 
Both kinds, fantastic. No debates here. It, all Hiroshi yeah. welcome, as far as I'm concerned. Our Hiroshi this year was very, very different. It was uh, mashed dates, almonds, and cocoa powder. It was delicious. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Sort of like, sounds like a power bar. It was like a power bar. Yeah, <laughs> it, but it was terrific. So uh, what's going on uh, this week in, in sports, uh, Gabe? You, you mentioned that there's a new racing season that's yeah, coming. Yeah, the F1 season started yesterday with the, uh, the very Jewish Grand Prix in Bahrain. Uh, you know, however, it's so it's so funny. There's there's really an increasing amount of of, of weird individual sports that that take place in the Gulf states. It's like it, it used to just be like there was like one tennis match in Dubai, and now it's like I feel like every other week it's like there's something going on in, in well, Bahrain, it's Qatar. It's very Dubai. controversial this year because F1 is going to Saudi Arabia uh, for the first time ever. Oh uh, wow! You know, they're throwing around their money and they're going, but. F1 that is makes notable. sense. You go to the, you got to go to the source of the fuel, you know. You yeah, get right. As close it's as you it's probably the it. cheapest race they're going to put on because they can just pipe the gas straight into the cars. <laughs> Though uh, I asked this, there's a, a Jewish driver in F1. His father is the Jewish team owner. We've talked about this before. The Stroll family, Lance Stroll, the driver, Lawrence, the father. Right. I wonder if they're in. I don't know the name of the city in Bahrain they were in, but they're in Bahrain. It's Saturday night. Do you think they had a seder? The night before Ooh. the race? I hope so. Just Interesting the question. On I, Zoom, back with I, the family in Montreal? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if, if you're on Zoom anyways, it doesn't really matter where you are. Uh, you know, you can have a Zoom sitter anywhere that's as, as legit as any other ones. Um, at, the, uh, at, at the start of the broadcast, the broadcaster said, the, you know, the F1 season is here. Finally, a Zoom meeting we can all get excited about. <laughs> that's clever. Well, um, speaking of Gulf State Championships, the uh, Dubai Tennis Championship happened recently, and it was won by Aslan Karatsev, the uh, Russian-Israeli tennis player who, you know, made that sort of amazing run in the Australian Open, and so now he has his first win. Given that he's Israeli, was he allowed to compete in this tournament like six months ago? Interesting question. Um, we should probably do some research into, into into that history and talk about it sometime because there has been an interesting history of Israeli sports in the Middle East. I think for the most part, most of the Gulf, I would think Dubai would have probably been okay with it. Yeah, and it's now not there like is the, the Iranian treaty. soccer team refusing to show up and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. But also, he is Russian, so he travels under a Russian passport now. I assume, and um, yeah, interesting. You know, I guess there, there, you know, there have been places in the world where if you had an Israeli stamp on your passport, they wouldn't let you in, but. I don't know if Dubai would have been one of them. And, and they probably would have made an exception for uh, a top athlete anyways. I think it's the same with F1. I, I think, you know, Lance Stroll could get into Bahrain under a Canadian passport. You know, exactly. maybe he's been in Israel. I don't know. But he actually scored a point. He came in ninth in the race, which which uh, sort of it's not great, but it's uh, in the top half. And it, it helps his Canadian Jewish owned team succeed that's great yeah not a lot else uh sports wise we are going to come back after a quick break with our uh baseball seder celebrating baseball starting in like three days yeah it's very so, exciting celebrating passover and baseball at the same time um, so it's before, the real spring shehechianu that's right a new year for the jews and a new year for uh the baseball players but <laughs> it's uh midway before, through the jews well you know it's like it's the old new year was the spring right i mean right it's one of the Jewish New Year's. It's the egg. It's the circle of life. Exactly. Springtime, first day of spring, birds chirping, all that crap. Anyways, but before we get to that, we should mention that you and I were guests on another podcast called Dear Adam Silver, uh, hosted by our new friend, Abigail Smithson. My understanding is this podcast is is listened to directly. It is it, The whole thing is a message directly to Adam Silver for his audience, for him to specifically hear. 
which is great. Yeah, hopefully he, he's he, it's going right to his his ear holes. Um, we had a sort of wide ranging conversation about Jews and sports and all kinds of stuff, Jewish athletes, all uh, all sorts of fun stuff we talk about here in sort of untethered way. Um, so we'd ask everyone to go check that out if you if you can't get enough mensch warmers. Um, again, it's called Dear Adam Silver. And uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think Adam Silver and David Stern ever had a Seder together? Ooh, interesting question. Like notable basketball Jews. Both lived in New York. I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine they ever would have had to because like their office was in New York. So I don't, you know, it would be easy enough to go home. Like April, March, April is always like the doldrums of the NBA season, right? So it's like. You can't imagine any situation where they were like on the road at the NBA finals and they needed to make a Seder happen. Kind of no, thing, probably I mean? not. But I also wonder that like, you know, they're starting to executives, they're starting to know each other, they're starting to be friends. And, right. and David would say to Adam, like, you know, Adam, I, we're having a Seder. I think you and, and your wife should come, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I, I bet that's happened. Maybe, maybe. Um, anyways, we'll be, uh, take a quick break and we'll be back with our baseball Seder. <laughs> We are recording this on uh, Monday, March 29th. The Passover Seder was uh, about two days ago, and baseball opening day is three days from now. We're right in the middle in this special part of spring between these two sort of uh, emblematic spring things for, for Jews everywhere. And well, you know, sorry, guys. There's, there's it's okay. There's a long story about, you know, people often talk about how the Last Supper was on. A Passover Seder. Right. You know, Jesus was nailed to the cross. He was hung up. And then two days later, he so, came so back. They, so they say. So they say. He came back. But but I think we can all agree he came back for one reason and one reason only. And that's opening day, baby. <laughs> yeah, I think op- opening day is a real, you know, moment. Baseball's back. It ta- you know, it's more than half the year that we do baseball. Um, there's games every day. And baseball's sort of, you know, the most beloved sport for lots of Jews in, in America and in Canada and around the world. And there's a lot of similarities between the two, both of them starting in spring. And I thought it would be nice to sort of go through the Seder, the order of, of events, telling the story. Uh, but we're going to put a little bit of a baseball sin on, swing, on, swing on things. And there's a lot of overlap between the two things. And I, I think it'll be fun to go through it a little bit. I want to. I want to start. Before we start, I want to give you a, a brief quotation from the the Jewish folk musician Dan Byrne, who sings in his song "Opening Day." We're all undefeated. It's opening day. Everybody's shoulder feels okay. It is a time of of hope. And a I birth think Passover, of renewal. Passover like is Passover. a time of a birth and renewal. So let's start the top of the order. Batting first, we got Kadesh. Uh, Kadesh, <laughs> the Kiddush blessing. Uh, let us consider ourselves blessed that baseball season is upon us. And I'm going to ask everybody that um, instead of pouring the first glass of wine, uh, we're going to talk about the first baseman in the Jewish Hall of Fame. And, and Gabe, I, I'd like you to tell us, tell us a little bit about the greatest Jewish first baseman, Hank Green. So you, he's not, not just the first baseman in the Jewish Hall of Fame, but he's also the first baseman in the Jewish Hall of Fame. He's sort of the originator of all of the, the you know Jewish baseball uh, uh, history. He's sort of everyone's idol. Uh, people talk about Hank Greenberg as being sort of their icon, you know, of our grandparents' generation. He was, he was the hero. Uh, you know, he hit 58 home runs, was the most other than Babe Ruth, retired with a uh, batting average over 330, uh, had 17 really spectacular years in the league. I, mean, I didn't play 17 full years. He played about 12 split up by the war and injury. Um, but, you 
really is, you know, uh, uh, a true baseball icon, uh, orthodox parents growing up from Romania in Greenwich Village. Uh, you know, he's got brothers, Joseph and Benny. Uh, his father was was a, a successful Schmada salesman, really classic down the line, central casting Jewish sports icon, you know, in a tenement until they made it out and went to the Bronx, grew up loving the Yankees. The Yankees actually recruited him uh, and 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 probably the most they didn't they couldn't sign him because of of they had Lou Gehrig in the way. Uh Lou Gehrig, obviously famous Yankee. And then Hank Greenberg. The Iron Horse. The Iron Horse. Hank Greenberg did exactly what his parents wanted him to do and declined a uh, job with the New York Yankees to go to university. Uh, finally, after going to university, he signed with the Detroit Tigers for the princely sum of $9,000. Uh, and a legend was born, Hammer and Hank himself. Yeah, he led the league in RBIs, led the league in homers a few times, uh, two-time MVP, baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, all around good guy. So, you know, a quick, uh, a quick mozi bruchatadunai alhenim melchalam bere pre hahank Greenberg, <laughs> uh, and that's Kadesh. Uh, let's absolutely. let's move on. Seder, uh, Seder, of course, means order. Uh, in baseball, we have the batting order. So we're going to go down the batting order. On deck, we have urchatz. Um, urchatz is the ritual hand washing. Um, and we can see the the beginning of the season as a, as a washing of the the old records, uh, the old standings. Every team's record is zero and zero. There's 162 games to play. We all have clean hands, and everybody's shoulder feels okay. Everyone's shoulder feels okay, and every player, every pitcher's hands are you know clean and unstained with the combination of pine tar and sunscreen that they will soon apply to their uh, hands, even in the even in night games and played in the domes, so that they can doctor baseballs, which apparently they're cracking down on. So. We'll on see. the doctoring of baseballs, I, I, you know, I don't know if anyone's made this joke, but I wonder if Jewish players are more more successful at the doctoring of baseballs. My son, the baseball you know, doctorer. <laughs> exactly, my son, the baseball doctor. I'm sorry, mom, or I'm sorry, dad. I, I, you know, I know I'm not a surgeon, but I have doctored many baseballs in my time. Right. Moving on in the hole in the three spot, we got Carpas. Uh, Carpas is dipping a vegetable into salt water, which represents the tears of slavery. You know, while we have hope and the refreshment of the new year, we also have bitterness over last year's loss. Whether, you know, our team bottomed out in the regular season, um, for example, if we have any listeners in Baltimore, or if our team, uh, like our beloved Blue Jays made the playoffs, uh, or even as our friends in, in Southwest out Florida. Very, very quickly. Yeah, swept out quickly. Or our friends in, in West Florida and Tampa who made it all the way to the World Series. We remember the bitterness of last year. Uh, Dodgers fans, you can skip this step. Uh, feel free to be, be celebratory about last year. But everybody else, remember the bitterness. Remember the bitterness and the multiple, sadness of last year. Multiple Dodgers fans we know. Dozens, thousands. Um, including, you know, the Winkler family, friends of the podcast. Yep. Uh, they, can, they can actually skip this one in the same. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure they'll, they'll enjoy doing it. Although I wonder... As I, I saw this script, I wondered if you could think in Cleveland for a long time. Do you think they ever called this the Kipnis? <laughs> the Kipnis instead of the Carpus. It's not instead bad. of the Carpus after uh, to, to, Jason Kipnis. You know, I'm going to dunk the Kipnis in the the salt water. Now, batting cleanup uh, with the bases loaded, we have the fourth element of the seder, yachatz, uh, and this is splitting the matzah. That's what you call a player when he strikes out. <laughs> This is the taking of the mutts in the middle to uh, to hide as the afikomen for children to find later. 
uh, the, the, let us remember that baseball is ultimately a game for children. And if we're lucky enough to attend games this year, we'll remember that and, and, you know, act responsibly and, and, and realize that it, it is ultimately at the end of the day, just a game. This is for kids and, uh, you know, it's children who will carry the game forward into the, into the future. Very, very, very well told, you know, we, it is a children's game, uh, but it is a fun one. And, and as you said, it is sort of the story of rebirth, similar to the story of password, a uh, pass password, Passover to carry on. And baseball is always something like the Afi Kalman we can find that is always there for us. Yep. Uh, moving on to the five hole, uh, we have Magid. And Magid, we're going to start by pouring the second cup of wine. But in this case, we have the second baseman of the Seder. Hey! And our Jewish second baseman to focus on is Ian Kinsler. Uh, Ian Kinsler is a longtime member of the Texas Rangers. Uh, he was then traded for to to Detroit uh, for Prince Fielder. Um, and he had a few years there still at his prime. He was, you know, a uh, middle second baseman who, you know, had solid power. Um, second all time among Jews in uh, doubles. First all time among Jews in stolen bases. He was a four time all-star. Uh, he retired after uh, I think the 2019 season Um that he that he, you know he sort of bounced around for a few years at the end, but he Played was in you know, LA, got to play in a Jewish mecca at the end of his yeah. career. Do you, think you know he parents- was like a thirty thirty guy? He he had nineteen hundred ninety nine career hits, pretty very very solid career. You know, Hall of very good kind of guy. Totally, and I I bet you his parents ever sort of you know when he was playing in Detroit might have gone to Miguel Cabrera's parents and said you know doubles are very important too. <laughs> and Ian is going to be joining Team Israel this year in Tokyo. Um, so looking forward to the future, we haven't really talked much about Israel baseball in the last couple months, but, uh, you know, have no fear. It's something we're going to focus on a lot in the coming months going into the summer and the baseball season. So the, the Olympic teams are typically made up of minor league and college players and players who have recently retired. So someone like Ian Kinsler, who, um, you know, decided to hang up his cleats in terms of major league baseball, uh, you know, still has a chance to make an impact for the, for the Israel team. You know, he's only 39 uh 38 years old right now and he is now an israeli citizen he's now an israeli citizen he got israeli citizenship so that he can play uh for team israel so that's great and something definitely to look for look forward to uh one one thing that i think is great about ian kinsler is that he's got a great story that apparently many years ago at the the opening day they're playing the red Sox. he hits a single he's on base and the first thing kevin eucalyst says to him is happy passover that's great uh, Kevin Euclid, the uh, the you know Greek god of walks, the not Jewish god of walks. He's not Jewish Greek. god, not known by his name, but well, he's Greek. His last name's Greek, but um, yeah, he is Jewish, and you know, a great Jewish baseball player as well. Um, the other part of Magid is to tell the story of Passover. So I wanted to incorporate a few elements of the telling the story of Passover, and I'm going to lead us now in an in intonation of the you know instead of the ten plagues <laughs> that that plagued the Egyptians. Um, brought by God. We're going to talk about the 10 players that we have, 10, 10 current Jewish players, sort of, uh, who are currently playing for in Major League Baseball. Blyer, Bregman, Freed, Kramer, Peterson, Pilar, Sheriff, Stock, Telez, Ryan Braun. Ryan Braun got the hammer there as the as the the death of the firstborn. I was gonna say, is there a reason Ryan Braun was specifically the death of the firstborn? Well, 
two reasons. One, he is sort of almost retired and maybe retired. Former Jewish, MV- sorry, continued to be slightly Jewish. Former MVP, also former, uh, you know, convicted steroid offense offender. So no, that's was, the reason. He was, I think. he was let go on the technicality. He lawyered uh, his way out uh, of it. That's uh, the yeah. way. That's okay, the that's Jewish the way. way. Yeah. So th- those are the ten players. And moving on now, we have uh, four questions uh, about you know why is why is this season different from every other season? But uh, these four questions are about <laughs> about four Jewish players. So I believe about. I'm I'm younger than you, Jamie. So I can oh, start okay. with the first question. Okay, thank you. I will I will do my best to answer them. <clears throat> Manishtana Jock Peterson has shown tremendous praise and can hit the ball very hard. He's having a spectacular spring. It looks like he's going to make the team, but can he become an all-star again? It's hard to say. You know, Jock Peterson is someone who had tremendous promise when he came up with the Dodgers. Um, the bashing boy chick, you know, he was someone we saw at home run derbies, had an all-star appearance early in his career. He has eight home runs now this spring, which is, you know, fantastic for any set of 20 games you play. He's going to be uh, an everyday player for the Chicago Cubs. And they, you know, could be okay. They could be sort of wild card contention team. Uh, Jock Peterson definitely has the potential to break out in a way that he didn't in LA. And, uh, you know, the training wheels are off. It's time to show what you got. Now you're the free, you, you know, the big free agent signing. Let's see what you got, Jock. It's a great, great answer. Manishtana. Rowdy Telez is stuck behind a star-studded Toronto lineup and specifically Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at first. Can he hit well enough to become an everyday player? This is this is the one that's closest to my heart. Rowdy Telez is just one of those guys you love to root for. Um, yeah, it's really I think hard not to root for a fat Jewish guy named Rudy. Yeah, exactly. The name the name is fantastic. Um, you know, he has shown real pop in his bat that he can hit the ball hard, but doesn't play much defense. He'd really have to hit well to uh, make it for Toronto this this year to be an everyday DH. But I think he can do it. Let's let's see. Let's hope he can do it. Amazing, Manishtana. After going 7-0 and with a 2.25 ERA and coming in fifth last year in the Cy Young, is Max Fried the next great Atlanta pitcher or maybe the first great Jewish pitcher since Sandy? Maybe. You know, we've talked a lot about Jewish hitters, and there have been plenty of Jewish, hit- Jewish pitchers here and there, but there hasn't really been an all-star or an all-time great Jewish pitcher since the great Sandy Koufax. Max Fried is young. Uh, you know, he's got a killer fastball. And uh, he is going to be great again. You know, he, he had a great year last year. And, and I, I think we should all be excited to see what he's going to do. A little different than most Jewish players. You only get to see him every five days. But keep an eye on Max Fried. He is definitely the Jewish, the young Jewish player. I mean, player and he's watch. got a lot of Kofax in him. He's left-handed. He throws a million different yeah. pitches. I find during the broadcast, and I can't decide if I think this is anti-Semitic or not, but they always make a point of saying his favorite player was Sandy Kofax growing up. Like, oh, yeah, Max Fried, well, very, very intelligent young man who loved Sandy Koufax. Wink, wink. You know, that was one of the things, like, that was one of the things they said about Sandy Koufax, right? Like, they always suggest that he was, like, a real intellectual, and Sandy had to make a big show of, like, saying, oh, you know, I'm just a regular guy and all that. So, interesting to see. You know, um, hopefully they don't talk too much about him being crafty, although that is often something <laughs> they say about lefties, and unfortunately or, or, something they say about Jews. Like, so. It's true, a crafty lefty who is... Uh, uh, collecting all of the money away from all of the other players by if you know every time he strikes out if they start saying he's taking some money away from any Mm. free agents that's when you know maybe we got to watch out for that joe buck (laughs) or buck has to say about him yeah Uh, and then finally the 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 fourth question uh ma nishtana 
Is Ryan Braun retiring? I think the answer is probably yes to that one. That's that's the simple one. That's the simple one. <laughs> so, yeah, it seems I was like ask, it. Is Ryan, is Ryan Braun the simple boy? He, he you know, might we've be, got yeah. the four sons. Is Bregman, he the simple one? That's I, I tried to do the four sons, but I couldn't quite make it work. But I did know that Bregman was going to be the wicked son because of his participation <laughs> in oh, the no Astros question. cheating cheating scandal. Um, we've told the story of the, of the of the baseball season going into it. You know, unlike Passover, we don't really have answers to all these questions. The only answer is is how the season plays out. Um, moving on to the batting six, we've Rachsa. Uh, we wash our hands again. Game's over. You know, you got to clean up again. Hit the showers. Um, the seven, eight, and nine hitters, uh, no one really cares about. So I lumped a few of these Passover Seder um, <laughs> items together. Mutzi, Matza, Maror, Korech, Shulchan Orech. These are all the, the eating ones. Um, Ryan Braun might also be the Maror of the Jewish uh, baseball experience. That's true. He, he, he's bitter because he's, you know. Uh, he's bitter about he, losing his job. Uh, and maybe know, not having another one. bitter about his, his reputation. Yeah. But talking about, you know, all these, the, the Seder meal is an important part of it, obviously. Um, baseball has a lot of food that's part of it as well. Uh, we've talked before about kosher places to eat inside of ballparks if you uh, keep kosher. And, uh, you know, the prototypical baseball food, uh, not unlike the prototypical typical Passover food, is a questionable sandwich. Uh, in baseball, it's the hot dog. In uh, Passover, it's the Rabbi Hillel sandwich of matzah and lamb and, and uh, maror. Can't forget um, the maror which may be the, the first sandwich in, in recorded history. So two questionable sandwiches um, to, to think about. Um, going to move on here to uh, the uh, tzafun, which I think is the, the seventh inning stretch. The meal is over. We stretch and enjoy the afikomen uh, at the end of the meal. And what do we do in baseball? The seventh inning stretch. Uh, it's the end of the meal. It's the it's the end of our you know of our patience of our teams losing. It's the last call for beer, and it's time to drink the third cup, Gabe. So why don't you tell us if instead of the third cup, uh, the third baseman of the of the baseball? That's a, a great segue about the third baseman. We get to the original Hebrew hammer here, uh, at least who they claim to be the first guy named the Hebrew hammer. Um, following uh, in the footsteps of his idol, Hank Greenberg. Uh, he came out of the military uh, in order to join the Cleveland uh, Baseball Club. Um, he was a four-time All-Star. He was the AL MVP uh, as well. He was uh, the only guy to ever win both the MVP and the uh, MLB Executive of the Year Award. Not a lot of guys wow, have done that's both. that's very cool. Um, but the only one is, is Al Rosen, which sort of fits the, the Jewish aspect of excellence in all th- all times uh he was in charge of the yankees he was in charge of the astros and in charge of the uh, uh the giants and was known sort of as a player's guy he could kibitz with the best of them uh he's a ball player casey stengel very famously said about him that you know he's he's the ideal of a player he's your hard-nosed player he works his ass off every game always the highest um and unfortunately his career only lasted 11 years uh and he retired at age 32 uh, sort of worked in finance for his career before going back into baseball as a ball player. Um, not only yeah. that, uh, Al Rosen very famously was extremely proud about his Judaism. Um, he is known for uh, straight up anytime another player on another team or on his own team even would say something anti-Semitic, he would fight them. Uh, Al Rosen was was a boxer in his youth and as a teenager. Um and uh, Al Rosen uh, once also threatened to fight uh, Ed Sullivan, 
because Ed Sullivan said he wasn't Jewish enough. And, and you know, Al Rosen was a really, really sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of a Yiddish word for this, but he was like a real uh, tough, tough guy. I, I like a, a real scrappy Jew. It's, it, you know, it's not an archetype that we think of so no, much. No, it's not something we wouldn't, we wouldn't do of. Another very notable thing about Al Rosen sometimes is he actually wouldn't play on Yom Kippur even before Sandy Koufax would. Um, and Sonny Koufax has said before that he was inspired by Al Rosen to do it. And he was on the uh, Cleveland baseball team, as we're going to call them, that won the 1948 World Series, the last championship in Cleveland. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of Al Rosen's teammates said, thankfully, you know, people thought he was the toughest guy to get out in all of baseball. Um, which, again, as a, as a serviceman in World War II and post-World War II America with a lot of anti-Semitism and a lot of post-Holocaust, I think Al Rosen is a very notable Jewish athlete who inspires us to be you know, tough and survivors. He was a survivor, even though injuries took away his career. He had another career in finance and then another career as a baseball executive. So really impressive guy that we can all be inspired by. So here's to Al Rosen, our third, third, not our third, our cup, third cup, third, third basement, basement cup of wine. Exactly. And we come now to the end of the Seder, uh, Hallel. Um, this is the, you know, time where we have all had three cups of wine by now, at least at a minimum. We've eaten our fill of the Passover meal and it's time to sing joyful songs of praise um, and attempt to lure the baseball gods to our cause. So I have a, a modified version of, of a Passover favorite I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share now um, that we can think of for the baseball season of, you know, what you want for the years, the year going forward, the way you look at your team and the question of, you know, what is going to be enough? So, you know, if we were to draft good players and if those players were to become prospects, die new. And if we can add a few players in free agency and none of our pitchers need Tommy John surgery, die new. And if we could just squeeze into the wild card game and maybe have a shot at making a run in the playoffs, die new. And if we can win the whole World Series and maybe, maybe repeat again next year, die new. I think the the reality is that for the sports fan, the the only thing that that makes it enough is winning and winning again and again and again. You can never have can never have too much winning, and uh, it'll it'll never be enough. To, to and, be honest. And, however, if those players were Jewish, Dianu, Dianu, and as part of the uh, Hallel, we drink the fourth cup of wine. Um, of course, baseball doesn't exactly have a fourth base, but if you make it past third base and you round home. There's no fourth baseman, but there is home plate. And home plate, of course, is guarded by a catcher. And uh, the Jewish catcher that we want to talk about today, the, the fourth cup, fourth, fourth base baseman, is Mo Berg. Um, Mo Berg is the subject of a book called The Catcher Was a Spy by Nicholas Davidoff, um, which was turned into a movie starring, his name's escaping me now, uh, Paul, uh, what, what's his name? Ant-Man. Um, uh, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. And Sorry, you know, the Ed man. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the movie. Apparently it's quite bad. Um, but Moberg is a very fascinating player, uh, more for what he did off the field than what he did on the field. Um, you know, he was a guy who had a successful baseball career in, in terms of longevity. Um, he was uh, born in 1902 and originally played in 1923 for what was then called the Brooklyn Robins, later became the Dodgers, of course. And he continued playing well into, into 1939. He was never a big hitter. Uh, you know, he hit 243 for his career, uh, which isn't terrible for, his, for a catcher. But um, really what was special about him was he was considered the smartest man in baseball. 
he spoke multiple languages. Um, you know, he had gone to Princeton University and uh, got a BA. Um, he was someone who was known to uh, to read books in the dugout and stuff like that. Um, he went to Columbia Law School after Princeton, missing a few weeks of spring training, and passed the New York State bar exam. Um, and you know, he wasn't a guy who really had a big career as a baseball player, but a solid career. You know, catchers have that ability to sort of stick around for a while because of what they can do with pitchers. And then after his career, he had the opportunity to travel to Japan as part of a, a all-star team. And he was recruited by what was then called the Office of, uh, the, uh, Office of Strategic Services to take um, surreptitiously take spy film in Japan of Japanese factories and uh, you know, military facilities that was going to be important during the war. Um, during World War II, he, he joined the OSS full time and, you know, became a spy and was someone that, uh, you know, had, he had to go to Switzerland and, and go to lectures and learn about physics and nuclear science and stuff like that. Cause he was this, you know, sort of brilliant, odd guy, um, sort of, you know, ended his career, sorry, ended his life after that sort of took a downturn and he just sort of bummed around, uh, staying with relatives and things like that. But, you know, he had this amazing, interesting life. And I would definitely suggest checking out the book. The Catcher Was a Spy, um, a very interesting read and about a, about a you know, really idiosyncratic baseball player and uh, Jewish American. Absolutely fascinating stuff. Truly, Mo Burgers is a, is a really, really interesting guy. And now the last uh, order of our Seder, Nirza. Um, this would be the time during the Seder where you would say next year in Jerusalem or next year just in person would be good enough for all of us. Um, you know, for 29 teams in Major League Baseball, this year is not going to end in the promised land. Uh, you're not going to get to the mountaintop, but there's always next year. There's always the dream of spring. And that, I think, is is what is so amazing about baseball. You know, organized baseball has been played for, you know, 140 years now. And there's always next year. There's always the dream that it's going to come back. And next year is going to be the team. And I think that's that's the story of Passover uh, for the for the Jews as it's well. It's the following Passover and the following opening day. It's always going to be there. Yeah. But, you know, you got to have hope. Um, as someone once said in, in, in Damn Yankees, um, a musical written by written by Jews um, that, you know, you got to have hope miles and miles and miles of hope. And if that isn't the if that isn't the story of the Jews then I don't know what is. I think, uh, Gabe, you know, we've made it all the way from home plate to the Seder plate. Uh, you know, we've done the whole batting order, the whole, the whole, the whole batting Seder. And uh, I think that's, you know, a good place to, to start, to stop and uh, look forward to the, to the new year. You know, happy opening day to, to all those who celebrate. Happy Passover, Chag Sameach to all those who celebrate as well. Uh, and uh, thank you again for listening to the uh, the Wrench Warmers podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your podcasts. Thanks again to Abigail for having us on Dear Adam Silver. Um, we've got some media appearances popping up in the next little while. You can follow us, as always, on Twitter at Mensch Warmers for all the you know links and clicks on uh, Jewish sports news, as well as our spiciest takes on the uh, Cinnamon Toast Shrimp. And that other guy, that guy's news such a liar. I like that's one of those things where I'm ashamed the guy's Jewish. Yeah, like I don't. That's uh, not good for the people. It's not good for the people. Um, please like and subscribe, and uh, keep listening to the Menschwarmers. We we would like to be stuck in your podcast feeds, just like the boat stuck in the Suez Canal, just like the mutts is stuck in our digestive systems. That's right. I I also I mean many people have made this point, but I think it's very fitting that something came to part an Egyptian sea during Passover. 
uh, for yes, us in yes. 2021. And now it's gone. Just, uh, just, the, just after the Seder. Just after the Seder. They got yes, it out. The boat is yeah, free. The boat is free. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.